Hello and welcome to another comedian's interview for my blog, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 stand-up comedians and counting over the last 46 years. Uh, I am honoured to say that my special guest today is Mr. Al Murray. Yes! Hello, hello. Hello, mate. Hello, How are you? <laughs> How are you doing? It's great to see you. Thank you so much for doing this. Total pleasure. Thank you. Um, it's going to be, as I say, it's going to be about uh, an hour long, the interview. It's going to be about your comedy career. So yeah. we're going to go right back to the start. Yes. Um, in my mind, I think you're the best character comedian in Britain. Ah. Yes. Uh, how did you become a comedian in the first place? Oh, well, um, I did uh, I did a lot of acting at school and um, and playing music. And um, and I really I was really bitten by it. I thought I really want to do this. But I had no idea how. I had no <laughs> no notion of uh, uh, of how I might get around to being able to do that. And there was no um you know, there was no careers advice back in the mid '80s that that said, "Well, you know, do a stand-up comedy course or go to London and work your way up through the club scene." It just, you know, it was a, it was a, it was an abstract thing. And there, there were comedians. You know, there was there was Billy Connolly and there was Kelly Monteith, yeah. and then there was and there was the sort of young ones. Although you didn't know that they were stand-ups, because how could you know that? And uh, and Victoria Wood, and it basically looked like all the jobs in stand-up had been taken by these sort of half dozen people, and. Um, and then I got to when I got to university, I decided I was going to do some performing, you know, like and try and join some societies and sort of have a go. But that was the that was as far as my sort of plan went. But on my first day at uni, I met I met Stuart Lee and Richard Herring, yeah, um, in the college music room where I took my drum set, and they were they were about to put on a uh, they were about to put up on a production of the Edinburgh show they'd just done, and they'd been you know they'd been to the Fringe. So they were like sort of astronauts. They'd been to the moon, even though, you know, they'd played to nobody. But that wasn't the point. They, you know, they'd done it. Yeah. And they were putting a show on. I said, oh, you know, how'd you get involved in that? And they told me about this thing where you had to, called the Oxford Review Comedy Workshop, where you had to go and you had to do new stuff. So I went to that every other Sunday, wrote some stuff, got into it, completely loved doing it, and basically sort of thought, well, I, this is what I want to do. And then out the other end of it... Um, you know, there was a club circuit, and you rang the, you, you bought a copy of Time Out, and you ran the, rang all the numbers in Time Out, and <laughs> went your way around that, and got in, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and got into the club scene, and, yeah. and uh, that's how I became a comic. And there never was a, I never, there never was a point in my life where I thought, um, you know, when I was a youngster, I thought, oh God, I want to be a stand-up comic because it just didn't, it didn't seem like an option, right. and certainly not the, certainly not my back, the, my, my family background, it didn't seem like a thing you'd do. Yeah, and then. And then I just ended up doing it. And, I, you know, partly to sort of prolong student life and the mucking about and getting up late in the morning and the sort of not having to take anything too seriously, which is what I love, you know, why I got into it. And then, of course, you realise, oh, actually, if I'm going to do this properly, I've got to take it terribly seriously. Maybe not myself too seriously, but the thing, you've got to take it extremely seriously. And um, that, so that's, that's my superhero origin story, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and certainly my first, when I first started out, Stuart Lee had just, he was in a year above me at uni and he'd gone to London and was started and started to get work. Right. And you know what you're like when you're 21, 22. I thought, well, if he can do it, I could do that. You know, <laughs> no, you know, he's not, I remember thinking, you know, he's, Stu's not that good or I'm funnier than Stu. The way you do when you're a kid, I can do that. And so I sort of didn't stop to think twice about it. That's, Just got that's, into it. That's fantastic. What, what sort of year was this? Are we talking then? So 1991 was when I sort of, you know, when I came to London right. and, and, and started, started, um, trying to get going and i was I, I, um, I used to work quite a lot with a guy called jim tavray who, oh, yeah, who's yeah. based based in the us now um and i i got a gig opening for him in edinburgh in 91 i think and that was sort of that's when you think well i'm going to try being a comedian then um uh you know i but i had no i hadn't worked out you know the character was a long way off at this point i yeah. hadn't sort of thought about really what i wanted to do i just wanted to sort of get to grips with it and see if i could do it and see if i could make people laugh my, as a sort of as an end in itself, you know what I mean. Yeah, there wasn't yeah, any of thought course, of a yeah. doing telly or anything like that. Yeah, my my first year in London was nineteen ninety two. Yeah, and um, 
uh, I would go to the comedy store every week. Right. And, and but but before that, growing up, I I, I grew up in Carlisle and I went to yeah. um, college in Stoke, <clears throat> and I did business studies there. And we saw yeah. Ben Elton in wow. Stoke in the eighties, and then it, we went to Carlisle when I, uh, and about a month or so later, I saw Rick Mail. And uh, yeah. he, I mean that was just incredible. His yeah. he 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 started off. Uh, he kept calling the audience, ladies and gentlemen, of the Carl, uh, which which was brilliant. And he and he jumped <laughs> on, and his trousers exploded. And the person sitting next to me was not laughing, so he threw him out. <laughs> it was absolutely Fantastic. brilliant. And and yeah. the pub landlord. We're going to come on to this. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's very much like that. He's absolutely fearless, and and you remind me of certainly of the character like that, where Rick Mail is so confident. It's a completely yeah. different character, yeah. but it's this confidence that's extraordinary whenever you go on the stage. Because I've yeah. seen you so many times over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yes. I mean. That, I mean. I, I remember. I remember when I was uh, uh, doing a holiday job in. It, it, uh, it, when I was at uni, yeah. one of the guys I was working with saying he'd seen Rick Mail in Aberdeen and that it was basically Aberdeen Union. It was basically completely mind expanding. Yeah, it, it was, was like unbelievable. It was, it was unbelievable for the time, you know, yeah. like the, the, there was just nothing like it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I you know, I, but I, did, I never saw any, I sort of never saw anything like this live. I think the first, the first sort of comics I saw live properly were probably, I think the first person I probably saw do a do, do a uh, an hour an hour and a half was probably Jerry Sadovitz. You know that you, wow because because I got straight into doing it rather than going to see it a lot. And then right. you basically see people you see people when you're doing open spots and you see people you're working with. I mean, I, I remember when I first started out, it was me and a mate had a double act that we that we thought we'd try, and that didn't that didn't last very long because I was I was much more sort of deliberately robust about. You know, oh, we died. Doesn't matter. We got to, we got to knock, dust ourselves down, figure out what went wrong. And my, my, my uh, I can't speak for him, but I always used to get the feeling he was finding that he was finding that harder, right, than than me. And I was very resolved to like, you know, you got to, you just got to get in there and grip it and uh, uh, and cope with it and deal with it, you know. And and the the aim here is to make people laugh, yeah, you know. Like yeah, I was very yeah. soft, very soft bullish about it. I remember we saw Eddie Izzard three times in one week. Wow, comparing. One in a club in Hampton Wick, I think, once, and then at the comedy store and then somewhere else. And I remember the first first night we're going, my God, he's just, he's literally making up as he goes along. This is incredible. <laughs> How is this even possible? And then the second night you're thinking, he's still kind of making up as he goes along. This is, yeah, yeah, you know, some of the same sort of compare things from last yeah, night. And yeah. the third night you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So, so and, and and you learn a lot, like yeah, like, yeah, in a th from a thing like that. <laughs> so, um, you're you're watching you're watching the comedy, um, yeah. But but you're also doing it as well. What was your first ever gig like, and where was it, and what year? Well, my first gig proper, what, what, I think, first thing I would call a gig was was it was at at uni, right? Where there was, like I said, there was this thing every two weeks, every every two Sundays in a cellar underneath um, uh, one of the union buildings where you had to write new stuff and you had to go on. There were probably 40 people in there and all the people would be comedians lurking at the back and the bar and, and the compare would call you up, you know, they, and you'd, you'd do your bit. And I'd bullied some friends into doing this sketch uh, or, or being in a sketch group with me. And we had a sketch called the French Revolution sketch where we had we had a piano and you'd lit, where our heads would be lifted up onto the thing like this. And you'd all go, oh God, what a nightmare, you know. Um, and lots of, oh, an awful lot of, I think, puns and stuff. Yeah. And I think that probably counts as my first gig. And the reason it counts as my first gig, I think is because we wrote a thing, we learned the thing, we rehearsed is too strong. We learned the thing, <laughs> wrote the thing, learned the thing, performed the thing and got laughs for it. And came away thinking, gosh, that works and that's good. And that, rather than being paid, that feels to me like the, the first gig I would have done. But then my first paid stuff was in, you know, the summer of 91 uh, uh, opening for people. You know, right. when I sort of got, got the old act together that I used to do. Right. So, um, I mean, I've, I've been racking my brains all day because <laughs> I've, I've certainly seen your machine gun routine yeah, on yeah. stage 
and I yeah. can't remember when when it was. How how did that come about? Well, that was basically um, it's kind of a, it's a pub trick doing sound effects, you know, left over from being a kid playing with toys and stuff, and because uh, <laughs> it's superb. <laughs> doing well, and do, but it's also it's also that you know a PA can make anything sound like anything if you know how to use it properly. Um, there was another guy called Chris Luby who did a, who also did a sort of special effects sound effects act at the time. And there's you know the guy in the Police Academy films. Yeah, his yeah, name yeah. Escapes yeah. Me right yeah now. Michael Winslow. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's that. It's that basically. And um, and that sort of developed in my last year at Union, we, uh, and it was part of a, a, a sh part of a show we did in Edinburgh. And then, you know, uh, I thought, well, I, you know, this is 15, 20 minutes. It's it, and, and and it was very, it was very sort of black, bleak humour. I was killing everything and all this sort of stuff, which seemed to fit. Seemed to fit being like in my early twenties, where you where you think you're indestructible, and it. And it, if it went well in a club, it would absolutely uh, smash. But it's but the big problem with it is I just couldn't expand it, and it and it and it was a novelty and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and I really, yeah. I really thought I've got, I, 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 you know, I could do better than this, but I don't. But God knows what, you know. And um, I did it on the word, you know. I met Nirvana on the word um, uh, <laughs> in '91, you know. Uh, How cool um, is that? <laughs> well, like, well, at the time you think at the time they were they, they just released Teen Spirit, so it was like, oh, this is yeah, this yeah. is kind of this is kind of hip. But it was also totally bewildering because it was television, and you're thinking, what's going on, and where do I stand, and what do I look at, and and you know, uh, are there any of these people in this studio actually going to laugh, or are they just going to stand around like he's top of the pops, you know? And um, that was a very odd experience. But you know, that I, I did I did the act. I had my old floppy fringe and. Yeah, uh, yeah tuxedo with bloodstains on it and and for a while you know that paid my rent but then rent in london back then was a lot cheaper <laughs> i don't know i've survived in this room i tell you but uh, yeah <laughs> this this wonderful uh, 45 degree angle bookcase otherwise prison cell yeah um uh let's move on to the pub landlord yeah uh, you you how did your principal character come around come about how how did how was he created how did he come about well by accident so right so when i when i first moved to london i started doing stand-up and i also started trying to write for radio because there used to be this satire show called week ending yeah and uh they had an open house on a wednesday where you could just go in and pitch the producer and then you'd and then he'd go yeah give me i'll have that and i'll have that and then you'd come in on the thursday with the finished item and I think that's how it worked and that sort of like ran there was a sort of track off that that could get you work at radio light entertainment you know and they had a they had a producer bursary as well so you everyone applied for that and, and i remember rich herring not getting it and being furious and um and then but it also like it also led to writing on other things including spitting image which was still going at the time and i did that and i became we, we got commissioned, me and the guy, guys I was writing with, and there, so we're on the on the commission team who met after the non-coms. And Harry Hill was one of the new commissions. When Yon Magnuson, who's um, uh, 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 Graham Norton's producer, was for an extremely long time, when he he brought Harry in because he'd seen Harry on the circuit, brought him in on a commission. And Harry was just like different to everyone else because because yeah. he was he wasn't coming at it like all the news hacks who you know. There's a book about weekending called. Prime Minister, you'll see me now, because that's basically how every sketch would start. Because you couldn't rely on the impressions to necessarily tell you who was in the in the sketch. Ah, oh, come in, Foreign Secretary. Yes, it's about this. <laughs> you know, that's how you'd set the sketches up. And um, Harry came in, and we we hit it off on that. And I remember um, think I remember thinking this guy's really different because it was when Leaves on the Line was the thing, the railway story, Leaves on the Line. You know, and and everyone was laughing at that. And he wrote a sketch about an enormous conker rolling in front of yeah. the tunnel, and, <laughs> and you think, right? Well, this guy's this guy's got a different approach, you know. Uh, and we hit it off; we became friends. And he asked me to be in his radio show at the time called Fruit Corner, yeah. And also asked me to go to Edinburgh with him and do voices in his show shows. And that used that was a very good way of going to Edinburgh because he'd like pay my rent, so it would defray my costs. It made Edinburgh more possible. Yeah. Um, and. We used to muck about with um, uh, his mate, um, Matt Bradstock, who's sadly no longer with us, used to play, used to do Little Alan in his show and then in, and in his stage show, play his adopted son. 
and they were old medical school friends and Matt played the keyboards and was a really brilliant sort of busking keyboarder. You'd say, keyboardist, you'd say to him, you know, nights in white satin, you'd just be able to play it. Yeah, right? yeah. He's an amazing bloke. <laughs> so we jammed together in our flat. So I'd taken, I'd taken a drum kit up to Edinburgh with me because um, I was in a thing with Dave Cohen called Guns and Moses, who was supposed to be the world's first Jewish heavy metal band. Brilliant. And, well, yeah, it's not really <laughs> worth pausing on that. Um, it's good. If it went well, that it went very well. If it didn't, it didn't. That was with Jim, as with Jim Tavro as well. Anyway, so we we start jamming in the flat. And we basically come together with this set of stuff and call ourselves the pub band. And I was into playing the Fringe Club back in the day. And I said to Harry, we should take the band down the Fringe Club. This will absolutely kill in there. I just know it. And he... Him and Matt said, yeah, all right. And they never were fringe club people. So he said, yeah, all right, because it's a bit of a bear pit back in the day. And um, we went and did it. And we absolutely killed with this stuff we'd just been like playing in the kitchen. And we said to each other that night over a beer afterwards, well, we're going to have to do this next year in some shape or form. So we came back next year. Plan was to come back next year with this thing called The Pub Band. Right. And Harry would do some stand-up and they'd do some sketches and bits and pieces together. And we made a film... And I came up with, I was supposed to come up with the comparing thing, the linking thing. And the thing I came up with, which I won't, I shall not dwell on, was shit, right? No two ways of, put, no two ways of going at it. I thought it was really funny. It, it wasn't. Right? So, and um, it wasn't, right? And sometimes you have to admit that. And we did some warm-ups at the Camden Head in, in Islington. Yeah. And I would, I would resolutely stiff every night during this, doing this new thing. And, all, and so when we got to Edinburgh, I still hadn't figured out what I was going to do. I was just the drummer in the pub band. Yeah. And on the opening night, I said to Harry, look, why don't, why don't I say, I'll go on and I'll say that the compare hasn't turned up. So the barman here in the cabaret bar at the Pleasance has offered to fill in. And wow. Harry, Harry, <laughs> Harry kind of like said, yeah, whatever. You know, another, <laughs> one of your, another one of your bright ideas. I'm sure it would be brilliant. Um, but, it, you know, he was always, uh, uh, he was very, very good at styling through moments like that, Harry. And, and I said, uh, uh, and so I sat and he said, all right. So I wrote a load of things down, bits and pieces. And I went on in a, because I had a suit for being a drummer in the band. I went on and I, and I went, right, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So I had the voice immediately. And then I, but I did him very hesitant. He didn't want to be on. He was like, I've been kind of forced on at gunpoint. Right, which is right. one of the things. One of the things that has changed <laughs> and changed changed quite quickly is the truth is the idea that he goes on and he loves it. You know, he's yeah, enjoying yeah. the sense of attention. Yeah. And which is to, I've since even dropped that. So and it went it went really well. Then Harry went on, and did his 40 minutes. And while he was on, I wrote some more linking bits, brought the boys on for their little bit. Then we had the film and we did the band. And the next day I said, well, I could see I had clippers. I said, cut my hair off. I should be bald for this. The pub landlord should be a bald guy. <laughs> And and we did a we did the rest of the run. We got a Perrier nomination, yeah. you know, um, a comedy award in the old money, and um, which was very exciting. Um, and the show was a, was a smash, right? That's and, brilliant. And then we went on tour, and basically we had to put an interval in, so I had to do more comparing. Yeah. And um, and the next thing I knew, at the end of that tour, by March of the following year, the following spring, ninety five, I had an act. Just a whole act. Yeah. And it grew and grew and grew. And I had an hour's material by the end of that tour. Yeah. Wow, and, a, wow. and, a, and a character. And the, I think the reason it worked is, it, is it's dead simple. It's a simple proposition. The barman's gone on. And, you know, so he can be, he can be like, he can be anything. He can be, you, you don't have to define him. So he can be anything. It's not like saying, it's not like saying the police, a policeman's doing it, because that would be different. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's as, it's as open-ended as a cab driver, to be honest, which I think it would have been 30 years previous, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. And we went on tour, and I had, and also Harry works really hard, and his thing was, be funny, be funny, be funny, be funny. It's the thing he has for himself. And I just sort of, by the end of the tour, I'd, I'd, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I had a character that was a bottomless pit for material, because it's a... Because it's an attitude, because it's a point yeah, of view. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, it's not, it's not too hemmed in, and and then I got on the club circuit and rang all the people that knew I could do the sound effects and said, you know, I've got a new thing. And some of them went, well, you know, back to the back of the queue, mate. And others would, others were generous enough to trust me with it. And I got 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 into doing really hammering the comedy circuit to get good. And um, that's how it came about. No plan, no, no clue, <laughs> you know. 
That's and how, the, certainly, how all the best things start, I think. Well, maybe. And yeah. certainly, you know, it was designed to fill five minutes and I'm still doing it like 27 years yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 ridi it's ridiculous. Um, no, thank you. Uh, and um, talking about Harry Hill, he still yeah. holds the record for me <laughs> for the best opening line ever to a gig. I first saw him downstairs at the King's Head, something like yeah. 1992. Was this with a mousetrap on his nose? No, 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 no. Right, he, okay. he, he brushed <laughs> past me and he climbed up onto the stage and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really sorry I'm late. I had to have a testicle brought down and paused <laughs> and everybody laughed. And then he said, from Derby. Yeah. <laughs> and when I met him, I told him that and he went, yeah, yeah, I'm still telling that 30 years late. <laughs> it's just, yeah, he used just, to have the... He's wonderful. The yeah, he's brilliant. He yeah. had that the one with the mousetrap on his nose, and he wouldn't say anything about it for like, you know, he'd leave it three, four minutes to go. Do you ever get that feeling when you do absolutely anything for a piece of cheese? And you, and, you know. Anyway, that's like I, the, the first the first uh, gig I ever saw was Tommy Cooper. Yeah, uh, in uh, Scarborough in the seventies, and he, uh, wow, the curtain, curtains opened. He's lying on a bed. And there's one woman in the crowd laughing and they trickles round so everybody's laughing and after about five minutes he pops his head up, he says, What what somebody come on <laughs> And it's that originality that yeah, is yeah, yeah. super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to Edinburgh. Um yeah. I go to the Edinburgh fringe every year. I've been I'm very lucky to go. I've been going since two thousand and five. Yeah. And I see about 50 shows in a week that I go oh, It's just in, I, it's an incredible experience. What was your first Edinburgh Fringe like? Well, my first Edinburgh Fringe was in 88 with right. a student company doing a kids show. Right. Um, and, and then we did our sketch show in the basement of the same venue that was this big empty building that, that the theatre club, uh, you know, that we were attached to had converted into a venue. So we... Uh, so that was and that was with my sketch show buddies my first proper fringe was i did the comedy zone as it was called yeah. it's still called that isn't it yeah yeah in in i think in 91 right or 92 i can't remember um with harry and brenda gilhooley doing yeah. gail uh tuesday page three Stun stunner and andre vincent Wow, what a bill. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, we were real. And, you know, you look at that picture and we're like Muppet Babies on it. It's some, yeah. um, uh, uh, and that was, the, and I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I took some, I, I stopped doing Edinburgh for a bit for, for the first few years of the t sort of most of the 2000s. Right. Because um, I'd had kids and, yeah. and you sort of, and, and also kind of, I'd got, to, I'd got to the point where I kind of think, well, I've done this. I've, I've, com I've sort of completed the fringe end of it. But um, I started going again in 2009, and I—I I mean, I cannot—I can't express how much I love the Edinburgh Fringe, and I can't express you and how much. Oh God, it's just the most amazing yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, you'd never invent it if you were starting a thing from scratch. You'd never come up with that because it's too improbable. It's evolved in such a spectacular way. It's um, it's it's just it's just the most amazing festival and you know the, you know there's all this advocacy that you end up you know I, I i i get slightly fed up when when every year there's an article about how it's not as good as it used to be and you sort of think look around you i mean honestly you know and uh, it's it's even if even if you know i mean when i first started going the, the, there was a lot of talk about the three big venues that were going to overpower the fringe the you know the pleasance and assembly rooms and uh and the gilded balloon, a lot of you know, uh, tutting and sucking of teeth about that. And now, I, and you think, yeah, but the, the Pleasance was only three rooms at the time, or yeah, four yeah. rooms at the time. <laughs> something, you know, what? And it, and the way it's expanded, and also, you know, it's a direct product of the the you know, often I often find some of my some of my older peers are sort of who, who get who get hung up on this idea. It's not as good as it used to be. You sort of think, no, this is a direct product of the idea of that the arts are for everyone yeah. this is a direct product of lots more universities offering um arts uh, arts or drama or media degrees that's what this is what you're going to get you're going to get more and more people involved in the arts on a like an, on a, there's been an explosion in it and um that's a, that can only be a good thing and i, I you know 
I love going. I love staggering around, basically going, holy crap, look at all the stuff that's on. I'll never, get, I'll never get to see any of this, but dear God, it's amazing. And the thing I really love doing, and we did it for a while in the um, sort of 2010, 2011, 2012, I, I used to do this quiz in an afternoon. It was a fiver because I sort of thought, I can't come up and like uh, milk being well known here. I've got to come up and do something, you know, and, and one one review gave us one star and told us it was disastrously ill-conceived. You think, great, brilliant. It kind of is. We're just pissing around in the afternoon for a, for a fiver, you know. Isn't that the point of, isn't that the spirit of the fringe? You know? Exactly, and, uh, exactly. Um, and I, I just love it. And I sort of, um, and I kind of think when people go, it's not as good as it used to be and that you need to, you need to change this to improve it. You yeah. think, well, the problem with that is when you pull a lever, it always something will change in an, in a way that you don't expect, and you'll you you, you could you could skew it, you know. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, rent and all that is a yeah, big yeah. issue for for acts. But you just sort of think, yeah. But if you change that, what 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 other distortion might occur? And then the main thing that's the main thing that has changed, and without a shadow of a doubt for the better, is the city's more into it. The the city used to basically, you know, they tear down all the fly posters. They. <laughs> They, 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 no. they didn't. They kind of acted like in the in the night in the you know eighties and nineties. They act like it wasn't happening. Like it was. It, wow. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And you think and you think, my God, you know the money that's bring is bringing to the city. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I I go to Carlisle every every summer. Carlisle's my home city, so I'm only yeah. an hour away from it. And when when I step off the train at uh, Waverley, the atmosphere yeah. just hits you. And then yeah. you meet up with all your mates and you just yeah. have the best time. And I, yeah. like my blog, I do a big spreadsheet of who I'm going yeah. to see and everything and fit everybody. Yeah. It's just the best thing when you go yeah. go and do it. And, and Oh, yeah. I mean, see, every year I make sure, well, uh, usually on the first day in there, they go and sit in the pleasant, I go and sit in the pleasant courtyard yeah, yeah. Have, a pint, have a pint of Guinness. Because yeah, exactly. I've done that. I've done that since you know 1991. You and me and, both, my friend. Yeah, and even there? though the even though the pleasance is different, yeah, because there's more in there. It's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the same place, the it, same vibe. Yeah, the same thing of people going there because they because they have to because they need yeah. to because they need they need it to happen. They need to do it. They need to go through it. And it's a there, there being no fringe last year was was sort of heartbreaking, really, oh. but obviously inevitable, but, but completely yeah. heartbreaking. It really was. Um, yeah. Right, I have seen your pub landlord shows, mainly <laughs> at the Fringe. I'm going to rattle them off. I've seen Compete for the Meat in 2010, yes. where yes. you're still doing prizes to this day. It always be comedy, <laughs> similar prizes. Um, <laughs> the Only Way is Epic in 2012, just yep. phenomenal. One Man, One Governor in 2014, and Landlord of Hope and Glory in 2019. Yeah. Um, please, can you describe... Uh, if you have a writing process or how do you get your ideas for a show oh yeah there's yeah so so the process tends to be um uh it's a it kind of works in a two-year cycle normally so we kind of have we have a tour booked in and the deadline starts to loom and i get out the old tour and i look at all the, i look at all the lists for the old tour and they tend to be incomprehensible. And you think, well, what's that bit? And they and the list tends to be from the start of the tour before the thing is sort of, you know, mutated and shone itself up into something that works properly. And and then I look at the things I didn't use and think, is there anything in any of that, right? Because very often, you know, uh, very often, because I, 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 very early on when I started writing, I, I, I saved everything. I saved literally everything. I've got, a, you know, file called Year One, Publand or Year One, Year Two, Year Three. I saved absolutely everything, wrote everything out, wow. rewrote everything uh, again and again and again. And then, the, and then the process got easier when I sort of found the comic voice. I didn't have to write stuff down quite so much. Right. But basically, I get, I, I decide, well, what's this show going to be about in general? You know, what's the vibe of the show? So um, uh, One Man, One Governor, or, or, or Only Way is Epic, I think, I never can remember which shows which, but one of them I decide right. Politics is the thing I'm talking about this year. So this yeah. is the year where the government the governor decides that that he's going to be interested in politics because we were all being told that comedians ought to be interested in politics. And I find the idea of the pub landlord being interested in politics really funny, like because he's going to get it wrong, yeah, uh, uh, or or he's going to end up 
uttering some truth without realizing he's doing so and all that sort of thing so i so you think right i'll frame it out and then you look at what you what kind of where you're going to end up and i tend to work backwards i tend, tend to decide this is where you're going to end the show and we work backwards and then you and then and then what i do is there's a little there's a little fringe theater in here in chiswick where i live called the tabard yeah. And they have a like 50 seat, 60, 50 seat room. And I do like five o'clock on a Monday afternoon. I do sort of three of those. And I got the list on a piece of paper on a stool. And, I, and I'll look at it if I have to, but I'll, to, to, to knock me forward. And basically then what happens is I write the show with the audience. Because that's who writes, you don't write comedy on your own ever. Some people write in pairs and that obviously must be, you know, I've written in writers' rooms, but so the thing is, is you'll spur each other on. You go, that works, that doesn't work. I don't know about that. Maybe a different way of looking at that. And that's, you know, and that's what an audience does for you. They, they go, they tell you which bits are funny by laughing at them, <laughs> and they, and they tell you which bits are over long by losing interest, or they, and they indicate which bits could be extended and all that sort of thing. It's a, you know, and I've come more and more to the belief that that you, you know, stand up is written is a collaborative process between the audience and the comedian, and. And so we do kind of like three Mondays like that. And then I'll fill a week, I'll do a whole week or four in a week. At f- and we do it at five o'clock so that what we don't get is people going, oh, Al Murray's on. I've seen them a couple of times on the telly. I re- to run a thing up, I really need people who know what I'm about. Yeah. Rather than having to go first principles, explain the pub landlord. You know, I can hit the ground running. They're there to see me, so they know what roughly what they're going to get. Yeah. And then you give them a new thing. And then the other thing I make sure I do is look at all the audience beats that I've used because the audience interaction, it, it, it's it's sort of four-fifths to seven-eighths improvised, but there are solid bits, marks I have to hit to, to tie it together, to do the bit where you hop off from the improv into the set, wow. um, which is the hardest join in a, in a theatre show. It's the hardest part is that join, is where you where you jump out of the improv. And and so I cross off the things that are the regular beats, and then I maybe look at some some of the sort of replies that have become a bit too standard. But the thing I've changed, but the the thing I changed most in the last two big shows was not doing the improv from kickoff because I used to just come on and go, "Who's that?" I go, "Good evening, cheers." Who are you? And now I come on and go, "Right, this is what we're here to do. This is what we're going to talk about. This is the these are the subjects." And I just and and basically get the show up and I go, but before we can do that, I've got to know who I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah. And then we do the improv. And I found actually that that's, um, that's, um, I've, I've, I've kind of got a lot better at, uh, uh, it's a thing I really wanted to work on and really improve. And I've got a lot better at that of setting out my stall at the start. Cause then you're in, then yeah. you, you know, you've, you, you've rather than arriving at the subject matter, you're laying down, the, you're laying down the boundaries and all that. Um, so that's been the, that's been the process, the last sort of, the last two, two or three shows, but really, you know, um, David Chase, who wrote The Sopranos, he's 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 very funny about the writing process because he said, you know, when people say to me in that episode, where did that idea come from? And he goes, the writers' room, we were on a deadline. You know, it was the best, it was the best idea in the room at the time, for God's sake. You know, the 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 reason the reason he ends up doing that is because we had an episode to fill. Yeah, yeah. And he's 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 being modest, but he's also being because it's such a brilliant show. He's being completely truthful. Yeah. The reason sometimes the reason you end up talking about you know um, I had a, a long a long sequenced routine a couple of shows ago about how the world's financial markets worked. The reason I ended up writing that is because I ended up writing that i was just going to bring that up because you (laughs) went through every accent around the world yes yeah that's fantastic i was in the audience watching that yeah yeah that 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 is fascinating because the other thing of course as well is what you're brilliant at is the audience interaction and i love the way certainly seeing you live you get uh members of the audience to go off and get you a drink yeah yeah <laughs> and well, why not? Like that. But, it, but it's but it's a great way of getting them involved in your show yeah. and getting them on your side and then you yeah. can say practically whatever you want you know if you've got your plan yeah. ready to go it's yeah. it's it's fascinating um uh, you are absolutely fearless and and hysterical on stage. Have you ever suffered? Do you ever suffer from any nerves, and how do you cope with them? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, yeah. uh, if I've not done it in a long time, sometimes right. I can I can get I, just out of sort of um, uh, 
and if it's a brand new show and I don't know it, yeah. then I'll get nervous. Yeah. Um, sometimes you get nervous at sort of big, ma you know, the big fixtures. So like a Royal Variety show, you're entitled to a few butterflies because you don't want to fuck up in front of the Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and the last one of those I did, I'd lost my voice and I ended up having to go on even though I'd lost my voice. You know, oh, they couldn't. Mate. They couldn't cut me, and it really what well, that really was like a walk to the gallows. Oh. Um, uh, and I don't know. Um, but no, I tend to be honest. I tend not to. Yeah. Um, sometimes, I mean, the, the thing is, is one of the things I've been very lucky to do is get to the point where I tend to do shows on my own. So, so I'm in charge of the thing right from the beginning. The music they're listening to when they're coming in, the whole thing. Right. right. And sometimes if I'm on a bill and someone goes, well, I do get I get butterflies because I'm thinking, right, you know, the, the, they're laughing at this. Are they going to laugh at me? So they're not necessarily here for me. And I maybe what what am I going to have to unpick that the other comics done, you know, and because um, uh, I've, I've had support acts on tours with me a couple of times. And if they're, you know, and both times it was a guy called Jason Freeman a long time ago and then Chris Ramsey about 10 years ago. Yeah, and yeah. Chris, Chris was brilliant. And some nights you'd have to come on and go, forget about him. Here for me, right? <laughs> And yeah. and that can, that weirdly can make me nervous because it's not the normal setting, you know. It's not it's not you literally literally trying to create a comfort zone for yourself on stage. Yeah, and that wasn't it, you know. So um, so I don't know. Um, I I, I tend I tend not to, and I, I I think it's not because, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you need to be a bit nervous. Well, I don't know that I don't know that I do. I don't know how helpful that is. Um. Uh, I'd rather not be nervous. I'd rather be not having to think, oh, I got some, what am I doing about the butterflies? Because then you're not thinking about what you're doing. But um, I'm always adrenalized when I'm on stage, yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. but not necessarily nervous. You know, they're, they're, and they're, they are different things and they're, you know, they're different sides of the same coin. And if you can, you can get a handle on it, it um, on nerves, if you can get them under control or if you can decide, decide to ride them, to use them, they can be, they aren't necessarily a bad thing. I know some people like are terribly nervous about going, or say they are terribly nervous about going on stage. Some people who do it a lot, and you sort of think, "Wow, you know, um, why are you putting yourself through this then?" <laughs> what is, but every now, and, every now and again, you know, uh, yeah. butterflies and a bit of churn, you know. What is what is fascinating to see watching you live though is is when you you do talk a lot to the audience, but you yeah. always have a comeback. You, you you always have a comeback straight away and it's a very intelligent, clever, funny line. Yeah. And that must come just with experience of touring or keep doing it or Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's also that's also him. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing the thing I the, the thing I I got into audience interaction because um uh, one of the first people I saw when I was first starting out was Julian Clary, and he used to be brilliant at it. And and I saw him a couple of times. Then you realise, okay, he's got his formulas here. He's got his he's got his things he's looking for, and he's got his ways of coming back. But what he was doing, he was doing this. He was what he was doing is he was telling you what he was like by talking to you rather than yeah. talking at you. Yeah, yeah. He was showing you his character by by responding to the moment and and literally acting in the moment, yeah. right? And I think when you're doing a character, one of the simplest ways of letting people know what they're like is rather than tell a joke, behave like that person, right? And and the pub landlord would come on and go, you're drinking the wrong drink. Look, why are you with that? Why are you with that bloke? Look at him, he's a loser. He would do that. <laughs> he, would, he would do that, right? So I don't have to come on and say, I'm the kind of guy that would do this. Or worse still, Aren't the people that do this a nightmare, right? The sort of third-hand version of what the pub landlord could, is sort of can be. So, so I, I do it because I like seeing. It. I love watching it. You know, I, I talked with Frank Skinner earlier when I started out, supported him, and he was amazing at it. And he yeah, he's yeah. amazing at it, and he's amazing at um, at remembering people a lot later yeah, on and dropping yeah. them back in and all that, which is you know I've blatantly um, lifted. But it, it is what I like about it is it's different every night. It's what the pub landlord would do. Yeah, he wouldn't. Exactly, he wouldn't. Yeah. He wouldn't respect the conventions of being on stage that you don't do that. And also, the thing for me as a performer is it means it is definitely different every night. So I won't go mad. I, you know, I have the profoundest respect for the people who can do the same set every night for 120 shows identically. I don't know how they do it without going yeah, bonkers, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's different for me every night, and it says to the audience, "Tonight's the night." There will not be another night like tonight because you won't get this same combination of people. It cannot happen. Well, what and I, so it packages all those things together. Well, it does. 
what I what, what I personally love, if I can just say, is that you've <laughs> you've coloured my laugh. You always say your laugh's too loud. Or um, uh, rich, rich, nobody's reading your blog, which I absolutely love, and of course they they all do. Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so well done. <laughs> Uh, you have also appeared on TV many times. You mentioned before with Harry Hill. Yeah. Uh, and, but you've also written with Richard Herring and starred in your own sitcom, Time Gentleman, yeah. Please. Yeah. What are the differences between TV comedy and live stand-up? Well, the thing about live stand-up, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I haven't been doing very much, obviously. Um, uh, the thing about live stand-up is you never have to sign off on it. Right. You, if it, you, it's in a permanent state of evolution, and you can, unless you make a DVD, uh, right? You know, or a video, or a special, whatever. The end of a tour, you tend to want to make them the end of the tour when you know it, inside out. Um, if that, then what you've got there is, you've got the opportunity to perfect, perfect, perfect. Whereas with television, what you've got to do at some point is sign off on it, hand it over, and and then it goes out, and you can't change it. And you can't go, oh, hang on a minute, that joke's the wrong way around. Uh, I should do it the other way around. Or maybe maybe uh, I've got the, just the wrong word here or the wrong word order or the wrong rhythm or any of that. It goes out and it no longer belongs to you. It's gone. And when we did Time Gents, um, I went to a few edits for the first few. Then I realised that I had nothing to contribute to the edits whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I realised that actually we had, and a lot, I know a lot of people like to go to edits and all that. I realised we had a brilliant editor, we had a brilliant director. There was just nothing that I could do. And also, even if there was, there was nothing I could do about the performance I'd delivered the night before. So uh, the best thing to do was concentrate on getting the performance right. You know, me do, me do yeah. my bit and, and helping to get the script in shape. Although Rich did the lion's show, the work on that. You know, me do my bit, them do theirs. Because... Because what you have to do is sign off and it hand over. You have to, you have at some point to go, right, okay, it doesn't belong to me anymore. And when we did the talk show, um, uh, yes, yes. Happy, happy Hour, yeah. we very much, we very much got into this thing where I would, I would say, right, well, we're going to, we're going to write a, we're going to write a sort of 15, 20 minute interview or 18, 20 minute interview. You need 12, you might need 10, depending on, uh, you know, maybe one runs long, one runs short. Um, but I will do that 18 minute interview and I will not do any retakes. And you will, because the, I don't buy it. I don't buy going back and trying again in this circumstance. We're trying to create as live a moment as possible, as real, a vibrant and existing moment as possible that will come across on television because the way we've set the studio up, the cameras up. So what I'm not going to do is go back and do it again and again and again until you, until you think until you think I've got it right. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to deliver the best performance I can. But what I'm absolutely not going to do is try and do it again. And and the people I remember one of the producers I worked with really really had to get their head around that because that that wasn't what you do. And if you go if you go to a panel show, you'll know they shoot until the last minute say, yeah. the last minute of studio time that they've got. You know they've got three hours on the studio floor, so they will use every last minute. They've got the crew, the multi-camera is so expensive, they'll go to the last minute. And I used to say, no, if we can get this done in an hour and a half, because we're making 45 minutes of television, then we're probably taking too long over it. Because I'm going to know what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm going to be on it. And I, of course, I trust you to, to get the angles and the shots and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and then I, if that happened, I was much more comfortable on handing it over of course because, yeah, yeah. because you've got because you've got to make decisions and i think what the reason they do it on panel shows is because the comics aren't in charge of the decision making they've got to turn up they've got to do their bit and then they and then they get cut to the cloth that the producer wants yeah, for the yeah. half hour and i wasn't interested in doing that because i because i because i wanted to stay in control of the moment where essentially you hand it over and you hand it over you go to, you know there's nothing in there that you don't want in there. Whereas you can go on a panel show and you might say something and they use that rather than the bit you think's good. You know what I mean? So, also, a long-winded way of explaining why I don't do panel shows. No, it, no, um, but, but, it, it, I've, I've, I've been to a lot of TV recordings. I've been yeah. to a lot of chat shows. I've been to a yeah. lot of quiz shows. And uh, one of the best I went to was Have I Got News For You. Yeah. Uh, and it was the, what, the first time Bruce Forsyth was on. 
yeah. and nobody knew and he, he was insistent on going straight through yeah and he went straight to, uh, for exactly that reason and you yeah. can hear me as clear as a bell there's a, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a bit where he's playing play your iraqi cards right yeah. And he's trying to read an autocue and he goes da -da 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 -da. and I am crying with laughter above Ian Hislop's head yeah. and I look and he looks around <laughs> and he goes please please this is satire and I'm, I'm on video forevermore but I, I I was amazed how he just wanted to go straight through it Parkinson yeah. was another one he wouldn't yeah. stop and start he, with his yeah. chat show he, he wanted yeah. to get the interview straight through yeah and well, I can I completely understand why with you well, it's because you've got to hand it over. So what you yeah. want to do is hand it over in as near as damn it the state you want it to go out in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and and uh, and you know that that that's about. But but that's also that. So so that's doing telly. But yeah. the, the, but and how it compares to doing stand up. I mean, the thing is, the grass is always greener. When you're doing when you're on a uh, a stand up tour, you think, God, have I got to go up the M6 again? Oh, <laughs> uh, not. Not this service station again, you know. Uh, uh, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got restaurants where they know me in Manchester, you know, because we tend to. What we tend to yeah. do is hub out, hub out of the larger cities. So, you know, we'll, if we're up in the northwest, we'll stay in Manchester and commute. And 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 so when you're doing that, you think, God, I wish I was in a TV studio with a runner going and getting me what I want. But then when you're in a TV, when you're doing TV, because you've got to do this sign-off thing, which I find very stressful. Yeah. Um, you're thinking, God, I wish I was. I wish I was. I wish it was just the two of us on a, a, a on the motorway going somewhere, and uh, you know, a, a, and busting, bashing in the front row of, of a theatre rather than <laughs> rather than having to make all these bloody decisions and take all this responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> um, in 2015, as the pub landlord, yes, you ran as an MP for South Thanet. Yeah. Describe that experience. <laughs> because because my dad, God bless his soul, was a union man. He he was president yeah. of Nalgo, right? And wow. His, and his legacy was that his union with two other unions, he formed Unison, right? And uh, you know, God bless him. That that was him. Wow. So so describe this experience of your foray into. <laughs> Uh, well, 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 the big, well, we, yeah, yeah. It, um, that came about because that was the year after I'd been doing the show that was about politics, yeah. right? And and there was obviously something in the wind. And I'd just I'd done a gig in Cambridge and gone to see one of my I got I got a really old friend who was allowed to tell me what he thinks of the act in a way that no one else is, right? And um, <laughs> uh, he has he has license, you know. Right, and he said yes. to, he. <laughs> He said to me, he said at the pub, you know, I enjoyed that greatly. He said, uh, you're going to run, and this was in December of uh, 2014, so you're going to run for, you're going to run for election in January, aren't you? <laughs> you're going to put yourself up, declare for election, aren't you? Because it was, you know, five-year rule. You knew it was coming, right? And I said, uh, well, yeah, of course I am. He said, you've got to, you've got to go where, where, where's Farage running? It's got to be there, isn't it? It's got to be there. <laughs> All right. I'm like, yeah, what a great idea. So that, so, so and then I said, well, we'll call it the Free United Kingdom Party, FUKP. That is priceless. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, this is literally the conversation in the pub. Um, I ring my, I say, hang on a minute, I'll just ring my manager. I ring my manager, he goes, what a brilliant idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll get on it right now, right? So he went on the, <laughs> he went on the Electoral Commission website to find out how you, how you do it, how you form a political party. And by the morning, we were put, piecing the thing together <laughs> and trying to, trying to buy advertising space. And the, the whole idea, and it came about because that was the year, you know, Russell Brand had said, don't vote, it ain't, don't change nothing, right? And, the, you know, I think, I think we can, I think we can, with, with the benefit of, I mean, he was wrong at the time, and he's definitely wrong with hindsight. You know, you have to look at the EU referendum. It definitely changes stuff, voting. <laughs> oh, without, without a shadow of a doubt, no two ways about it, it changes stuff, right? And so... And I thought, well, I haven't got his platform. No one's going to take me seriously if I, you know, pipe up and say, by the way, old chap, I think you ought to vote. So what we thought, what, so the motivation was to do something that said to people, vote. And, and maybe at the same time, isn't some of the way we go about this uh, absurd, right? Which is, <laughs> strikes me as a pretty, you know, pretty standard, pretty bog standard thing that a comedian might do around election time. Of course, they, then there was then... A massive blossoming of conspiracy theories. And this is, you know, this is six years ago. So Twitter wasn't anything like as vicious as it <laughs> is now. 
But you know, I had all these all these kippers on my on my timeline telling me I was in the you know pay of the EU, pay of the BBC, pay of David Cameron, who's my cousin, which is obviously <laughs> which is not true, um, uh, and all this sort of stuff, and conspiracy theories swirling around me, you know, and you know they're going, who's paying you? And I said, they said we all, well, they, some of them were going, we all know who's paying you. So well, who? Go on, tell me, tell me, because I need to know who to invoice. You know what? What, what are you want about? <laughs> Help me out here. And and they'd go, well, there's no way you can afford it. And I said, just look at my tour dates and tell me I can't afford to do this. I can't afford the, the 500 quid to, to, to yeah. enter an election. <laughs> you know, and and, and it, was, it was fascinating because it was an insight into the way a lot of people think yeah, and all that. Yeah. And also, I came out of it, and, and the surprising thing is I came out of it quite sympathetic towards politicians in a weird way because I know some of them are in it for the money and i know some of that are in for like the you know the the thrills of power or whatever yeah. but some really are genuinely sincerely people who want to make the world a better place or you know obviously some of them on either side think that and they're going they're possibly going about it the wrong way you know but but that's genuinely their motivation right one for some of them and yet all we want them to do actually the thing that really satisfies is if they screw up and especially the media really want them to screw up <laughs> really want them to say a thing to say a thing out of line that they can run a story with because that's a better story than politicians says yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and so i ended up with quite a bit of sympathy because no you don't have to do it no yeah, one has yeah. to run run for office of any kind you know trade union or whatever no one has to do any of this put their head above the parapet but they do and you know i was doing it for a laugh and 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 uh was on the receiving end of a lot of flack but it was so much fun. It was, it was a real it was, it was an, an amazing thing to do. And yeah. you know, the campaign we run, I thought was was a was rock solid piece of satire. And uh, and and you know, it was uh, superb. It was a great idea. And and the and the being there, being in Thanet, being in Margate rather on the night the night of the of the count was an extraordinary th place to be. And yeah stuff swirling around it was you know why wouldn't what on reflection you think oh, thank god we did that because what an adventure and what a sort of um what a way of sort of fixing the act in events yeah, which yeah. is quite interesting but also i'd never do it again no <laughs> <laughs> it must have been mad i never wouldn't dream of doing it again what a crazy thing to have done <laughs> no that's that that is fascinating um we're running out of time i'm yeah i've i've got so many more questions but um uh Right, where are we going next? So, uh, we're all living in strange times. It's been horrible year. Yes. How yes. have you found online gigs as opposed to live stand-up? Because you make the Monday nights for me with the quiz at the Always Be Comedy. It's just the best. Well, well, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'm going to blow a vast quantity of smoke at your brother's ass now. Um, <laughs> He's not my uh, brother. I wish we were. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, it, it's really, really simple. It's um, it, if the gigs are well run, yeah, if they've got a cl good club vibe on them, where everyone knows what the rules are yeah. and how the thing works, and uh, and if they're if the then they work brilliantly. I've done I've done a variety of online stuff. The first couple I did. There was no audience, and you'd sort of do your monologue basically down the down the lens like this, and to nothing, to nothing and to no one, and you'd think, "Is there anyone watching?" This is like reading the this is like reading the news, <laughs> you know. Like, um, uh, what what's the point? Mm. But then the good ones, the good ones have been absolutely brilliant, oh, and I think, amazing. I mean, I actually think there's a sort of discovery of a format going on. Yeah. Um, of a way of doing this, and I've, I've you know, I've, I've talked to James about this. Sort of like the things that work in this format are worth continuing with. Yeah, you know, I, I, obviously nothing will ever get close to being in a stand-up club or a theatre, um, a packed theatre with a with a comic rocking it. Nothing can get close to that. Yeah, but but what you have here is a sort of um, hybrid interactive version of television. Uh, if you want, and the acts I've, I mean, that's the other thing is the, the acts of the acts have adapted to it, yeah. are killing it. Yeah. Um, uh, the people who've the people who've got their heads around it are absolutely killing it. Those who haven't aren't, but but you know, but it is quite a, 
it's quite a tricky proposition. And again, the ones I prefer where it's just me. So I'm setting the tone. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, go, Hey, forget about, forget about how funny they were. I'm funny. No, yeah, there's a gladiatorial thing of, of when you're a club comic. But that's the thing I really, really, really love. I've really loved about, um, and particularly in the, where we've ended up with this quiz. And what I love about the quiz is, is um you know it's a rolodex of subject matter because you've got questions about lots of different things so there's there's endless topics being thrown at me to write jokes about or to improvise jokes about yeah because james sends me the question i glance at them i don't look at them properly i'm literally just making up as we go along and the great thing is is because the subjects move on and because we've got such an in you know it's not an in joke but it's an a, a, a frame of mind between the regulars and on the gallery and then the um, people watching I mean, I do think, you know, it'd be very interesting to see it, on the if and when um, whether some of this streamed stuff survives and, and uh, whether there's an appetite for it still. Because, you know, there's nothing I like better than going downstairs and saying, oh, I've just finished my gig in Galway and I'm back, I'm yeah. back on a couch, get back on a couch by quarter past nine. You know, which, if it were Galway, it's basically completely impossible. And, I, <laughs> um, you know... I, I think, think I think what might happen is when the clubs open up, they may well have one performance where you've got uh, the online capability of doing it, so it so it'll be streamed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's been and so popular, and folk want to do want to watch comedy. Yeah, uh, and might not be able to get to theatres, so you know. They, well, yeah, exactly. Well, you, you know, it, exactly. And I did a I did a pilot for the BBC in the radio theatre. Um, uh, God, when was that? In October, November. Yeah. And we did that with a Zoom audience, and that took. You could we couldn't see them, but we could hear them. You know, coming out. It was on Halloween. That's right. So they came. The laughter came out of the monitors, sort of in a ghostly style. <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> Um, uh, um, and what was what was interesting about that was you could say, "Is there anyone in from Northern Ireland?" Someone go, "Yes," yeah. like that. And, <laughs> and you're like, and the producers, the producers, basically saying, "This is a more diverse representative audience of the of the British Isles, which is what the BBC is aiming at, yeah. than when we have people come in here into the radio theatre." Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the radio theatre audience can be people, you know, damp people avoiding going home. <laughs> Or on first dates or last dates if the show's rubbish, and uh, <laughs> you, you know, and and so, and so there's maybe maybe something's being cracked open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, uh, I, I think uh, so. Maybe. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Because I think there may also be a real a real drive to try and get things back to the way they were and drop some of the drop some of the inv innovations that have taken place. But I don't know. You can't you can't beat a live show as you say no. but it's no. a, it's a fantastic super sub this it's a brilliant substitution yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but james has done an amazing oh, job with it he is the best at what he Pilus. does him yeah. and tim yeah. are just fantastic yeah. every yeah. week week in week out this is always yeah. comedy um yeah. just before we go uh, and I hadn't had a chance to talk about Fat Cops, the band that you drum in, which I, I have heard and it's brilliant. Um, Long story. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to say? Uh, do you want to mention any online gigs? Do you want to mention any podcasts? Well, the uh, podcast. If, podcast the if people are into talk. Yeah, if people are into history, um, the Second World War in particular, we've got yeah. a podcast called We Have Ways of Making You Talk. And um, even if you're not interested in the sort of nitty gritty of um, uh, tank tactics in Normandy, we've got a nice thing we do on a Sunday, which is people's family stories, where they send in their stories and we read them out. Brilliant. Which I think, which I think um, that might that might um, uh, you know stimulate people's appetite for what we're doing. Um, but mainly, I mean, the the thing is, the the reason there's going to be you know this has been a really uh, hard year for an awful lot of people. Yeah. The, you know, the people I've really felt for, the people who work for me, my crew, my tech, my tour manager, that's who I'm really worried about, them. And then the comics who last Edinburgh would have, would have, would have been their year. Yeah. And they may, that may not, and it may not them. even, yeah. yeah, exactly. It may not even happen this year if things can't get lined up properly. You yeah, know, if the yeah. vaccination hasn't worked out or whatever. 
or confidence doesn't return to being in packed in a porter cabin with you know 30 other people respiring and perspiring all over them right I love you know it. yes it's, you, you know what i mean it's like it's almost like the fringe is like perfectly weaponized for spreading a r- respiratory um, virus but but the, but 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 you know and i was going to go on tour and i was like oh i don't want to go on tour again oh god i gotta cut my hair you know blah 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 and obviously i've made full advantage of not cutting my hair oh i've got to do that again but suddenly that was taken away from me and you think god i do actually really love this so but the reason there's a possible future for stand-up is because audiences still really want it exactly and it's and i said earlier on you know you write a show with the audience you don't just write a show with the audience you go to the show with the audience you perform the show with the audience you laugh at the show with the audience and it's the audiences that have been the life support that have kept this whole thing going via people like james and math brown has done an amazing job in yeah. uh, kingston and Morden and places like that but you know that's the that's the thing it's the audiences and that's the thing you know it without people being into comedy there'd be nothing there'd be nothing for the likes of me to do so um uh you know that's the that's actually the thing you sort of take away from a weird year like this is that that you know thanks to the punters i think we're all going to be all right well it's my pleasure laughing at you it really oh, is um bless you thank thanks, you Rich. so so much for your time i've thoroughly Total enjoyed pleasure. it I, as i say i could talk to you all night mate <laughs> you're, 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 i've got a nice bolognese to get to though <laughs> uh, all, all the best to you all the best thank you so Total much pleasure rich my pleasure thanks mate